and welcome back to the Hard to Handle Sports Podcast. This is episode number 70. We have a lot to talk about. Ben Simmons got kicked out of practice. What? Opening night predictions, Lakers versus Warriors, Bucks versus Nets. Also give my predictions for the rest of the season. Who's going to make the playoffs? Who's going to win MVP, Rookie of the Year? All that good stuff. I also want to touch on the Bulls. I think they're a team that's going to do really, really well this year. They have all the pieces. They have Billy Donovan. I think they're going to be a nice team this year. And in the Premier League, Ole needs to be fired. We'll touch on that. Obviously, they lost to Leicester, but he needs to be gone. What was complete? A comeback at Aston Villa being down 2-0. We have to touch on that. I'm a Wolves fan. We've got to touch on that. And in the NFL, Derrick Henry is a monster. The Bills lose to the Titans. Um, they're no longer, in my opinion, the best team in the NFL. I think the Ravens. The Ravens are the best team in the NFL. They trashed the Chargers. Impressive victory by the Ravens. And in the tennis world, Cameron Norrie wins his first Masters 1000, defeating Basilashvili in the Indian Wells final. And Andy Murray and Francis Tiafo just concluded their first round matchup at the European Open. Incredible, incredible stuff. All three sets went to a tie break. Just ridiculous stuff. So that's all we got on this episode. So let's get started. Ben Simmons gets kicked out of practice. We all know he does not want to be there. And today was just another episode in this saga that just needs to conclude. Ben Simmons needs to get out of Philly. Uh, there's no there's no way this gets fixed. He's a decent player. He's a great defensive player. He's a black hole on offense. He's an elite passer. But enough is enough, man. Like This is getting embarrassing. This is getting out of control. They're starting to air out their laundry. Like you never want to air out your laundry in public, and this is what they're doing. It's 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 apparent to everybody, not just Philly fans, not just NBA fans, like any sports fan. Like I know people that just like football, that just like soccer, and and they know what's going on in Philly. Ben Simmons needs to leave. It's done. Joel Embiid is fed up. He talked to the media today after practice, and he said that. Uh, he doesn't care. He doesn't care about Ben Simmons or what he does. He doesn't care what Ben Simmons does. Like, uh, you know, he's going to do his own thing. He's just there for the team, that the chemistry has been good, despite everything that's going on. And basically, Joel, Joel Embiid just spoke from his heart. He spoke how he really feels, and I can appreciate that from Joel Embiid. A lot of times, players, um, because, you know, they're told or just because their agent tells them or, you know, they just say the politically correct thing. Like, they always just try to um, walk that line down the middle or, you know, the team the team comes first or, you know, they always give their teammates the benefit of the doubt. It could have been easy for Joe Embiid to just say, you know what, uh, like, Joe Embiid is one of, guy, one of us. You know, he's trying to figure out what's best for him. And I'm just going to, f- you know, focus on what I can do and, you know, let everything else settle down or work itself out. Nah, Joe Embiid... Talked to the media and told them, hey, this is how it's going. I'm not happy. Like, like I'm fed up. I don't care what he does. Like, I'm, I'm just here to ball and, you know, do my thing. So I can respect Joel Embiid for that. But enough is enough. You know, they need to tra- They need to trade Ben Simmons. He needs to get out of there. It's not good for Philly. The Philly, especially with Philly fans, the way they are, they hold grudges. They, they remember everything. They boo their own first-round picks. They boo their own, you know, prospects. They boo their own team at their home games. Like, Philly fans do not forget. Philly fans are brutal. Philly fans will let you know exactly how it is. And I think this has gone on for too long. Ben Simmons has been a disappointment for too long. Or he's played his cards. He wants to get out. It's obvious that he wants to get out. He's only there so he doesn't lose money. But he's getting fined. He's already suspended for the first match of the game um, for, you know, behavior that's detrimental to the team. And I don't see this getting better. Ben Simmons has checked out. Uh, it doesn't seem like, you know, he's there to try to work things out. He's there to collect the paycheck until he can get traded. So enough is enough. I think they need to trade him. And I think that what's holding this trade up is that the the Philadelphia Sixers believe that Ben Simmons is like this A-plus um, prospect, A-plus player that they need to, you know, get a haul for. But I don't think they're going to get that haul. And it doesn't, like, it doesn't matter. It, ben Simmons is not going to play for them. He's going to cause a rift in the, in the locker room. He's going to cost distraction you already have Joel Embiid talking about how he's fed up they need to move him they need to get rid of him they just need this is just toxic it's a toxic it reminds me of a toxic relationship where you know you're just prolonging the breakup like this gotta go like it just gotta end like it's not good for both sides it's just gonna hurt both parties involved the Sixers aren't gonna be able to you know move on and 
retool their team and really like look at what they could do to build the team around Joel Embiid. And for Ben Simmons, you know, his his career is just going to get stagnant. He's not growing in the Sixers. He hasn't taken that next step with the Sixers. It's been obvious that it's not really going to work with the Sixers and Joel Embiid. So I think both both parties need to move on and they need to just, you know, break apart. They need to move on. And as far as getting a haul for Ben Simmons, first of all, he's coming off probably his worst playoff performance in his career. So that, you know, lowers his lowers his uh, value. He's still young and he's still an elite passer. He still, you know, has a very NBA ready body. Like when you if you want someone that can handle the ball, if he's 6'8", 240, he, he's fast, he can move, he can defend, like basically all five positions. So he has a lot going for him still. But he's coming off his worst offseason. Everyone knows that this relationship is going to end up in a breakup. So they're not going to offer the kitchen the kitchen sink for him. They know the Sixers basically got to move him. And they know Ben Simmons wants out of there. So they're not going to get the best deal for him because they know he wants out. He's coming off a bad, terrible performance in the playoffs. And like just to put it lightly, the Harden trade that the Rockies got for him, it was almost the same situation everyone knew that you know Harden wanted out like the trade was coming you don't have to offer too much because the the Rockets need to get out of this contract they need to get out of this situation they need to get something before Harden just walks um and be I mean Simmons does have like you know a good amount of years left in his contract but I think the Sixers they know that they got to move on from him but if you look at the Harden trade Harden is a better player than Ben Simmons he could impact the the outcome of a score more offense is heavily weighed more than defense and if you look at what the Rockets got for Harden uh, you wouldn't think that you wouldn't say that the Rockets came away with an elite prospect or a franchise player they just came away with you know some pick swaps some picks and some decent players that you know they already flipped they already got rid of so as far as the haul that the Rockets got for Harden I think it, it wasn't that great it was decent it wasn't that great it wasn't anything you know franchise altering so i think the sixers have to lower their expectations for what they're going to get for ben simmons get some picks maybe get some rotational players get a, a decent quality starter and just 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 you know if they're able to get mccollum from the blazers i think that that would be good that's that's a decent trade uh, i don't know if the sixers i mean if the blazers want ben simmons i think they would just because they're woeful on defense but they need to find someone. They need to trade him. Sack. I think the Kings want him to. They need to just move him. They need to end this. It's it's getting ridiculous, and it needs it needs to just end. The Lakers and the Warriors, the Bucks and the Nets play on opening night, and here are my predictions. I think the Nets will win. Nothing. <laughs> now nah, everyone thinks the Nets is gonna win, but I don't think so. Uh, I think people are disrespecting the Bucks. Giannis looks like he's gotten better. Uh, he, if you guys don't remember, he the last four games of the finals, he went on a complete tear, culminating with that 50-plus point performance in the finals. So Giannis, it looks like his mid-range, his three-pointers have gotten better. He has that uh, silkier uh, shot form. It's starting to look like Middleton. So I think Giannis is just going to keep improving. He's a defensive force. He's an offensive force. The Bucs don't have anything to stop Giannis. They're not going to have Kyrie. Um, obviously, the Bucs have had their own distraction with Kyrie. And is he there? Is he not there? We got Kyrie playing pickup football on the field. So he's not going to be there. And the Bucs have everyone. They have Middleton. They have a holiday. They got all their boys come, running it back. I think the Bucs are going to uh, put the league on notice. I think Giannis is going to put the league on notice. I think he's going to... Uh, 30 plus points if, if there's any um bets that you could put i think johnny's goes for 30 35 i wouldn't even be surprised if he, if he gives him a 40 piece to start the season and uh but i will say this it is ring night which has it's good and it's bad you know it's ring night you don't want to lose on opening night on ring night you're getting your ring it's a special moment you know it's it's, it's what you've been dreaming for your whole life just getting an nba ring being able to lift the the trophy at the end of the season so i think i think it could be good and bad because your emotions are flowing you know you're, you're feeling everything that you felt right when you won the finals it, it all comes back to you and you're all gooey you're all happy and from what i could recall from the lakers last year watching them in the ring night ceremony i think they took that opening game lightly they were just happy to be there they were just 
super excited that they got a ring. Everybody was just in a good mood. You kind of you could tell that LeBron wasn't taking it too seriously. He kind of was in like in a joyful mood. There were like just a lot of banter, a lot of celebrations in the in the bench. So I I, I will say this: ring night could be a, a a distraction. It just you just focused on remembering last season, remembering your championship from last year. And you, I feel like sometimes you focus too much on on last year, and it, and you know, uh, it, and it's and it's fine because you won the championship. You want to have a night to remember it, and it's fine. I'm not saying it's a, it's a bad thing, but it is a night where you remember a lot of last season. And this is about this year. This is about this season and moving forward. So I will say that opening night, ring night, it could be a distraction in some sense, but I think the Bucks, they're they're a better team. They're led by Giannis. I think they're going to come out and maybe start a little slow because they are going to be feeling, you know, all gooey, all, all nice about getting their rings, you know, finally being able to put it in their fingers. So it's going to be it's going to be a great night. It's going to be might be a little bit of distraction. They might start a little bit slow, but I think the Bucks ultimately impose themselves on the Nets and get that victory and they put the league on notice. I think John is he's going to show us showcase a little bit more of that mid range, that three point silky shot that it looked in the preseason he's going to showcase a little bit more of that and yeah i just think the bucks are going to win and by no means do i think the nets are going to be bad this year even without Kyrie, i think they harden and kd if they stay healthy that's still the best duo in the in the nba uh especially in the east but i just think the bucks i think a lot of people are disrespecting them they have them like number two or number three on their power rankings i got them as number one i think Giannis takes that next step He's, if he takes if if that jumper looks like it did in preseason, it's over for the league, man. It's bad. It's bad. And the second match today, Lakers versus Warriors. Uh, I'll, I'll start with the Warriors real quick. I think the Warriors will be dangerous. They're gonna make the playoffs and they're gonna be a threat to go all the way to the finals to come out of the West. Um, I still believe in Clay. I don't know how great he's gonna be defensively, which he was amazing um, before the injury. But I know he's still going to be able to shoot. He's not going to forget how to shoot. He's going to be a sniper. And I think he'll be decent on defense. If Hopefully he surprises me and he, he keeps that really high level at defense. So I think the Warriors are going to be dangerous. I think they're going to make the playoffs. And I do believe that they are going to be one of the teams that you kind of, you know, get a little worried about once the postseason comes. But for opening night, you know, they still don't have clay. They're still gelling together. I think it's just too a little too soon for the Warriors um, and the Lakers, you know, they got a healthy AD, healthy LeBron. I think it's also going to be a little sloppy for the Lakers trying to mesh Westbrook, AD, LeBron. We'll see how they get all three of those guys going. So I do think it's going to be a little sloppy from both teams. Lakers, they're going to try to find their chemistry. Warriors, they're trying to find their footing still without Klay Thompson. But ultimately, I think the Lakers have the better players. So I do think they're going to win. And I believe it's going to be a sloppy game. I don't think it's going to be super, super, like, um, I wouldn't say entertaining because I do believe it's going to be entertaining regardless. But I would say that there's going to, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a lot of turnovers, if there's some balls that get thrown out of bounds because people aren't in the right positions. So I would say to expect some errors, expect, you know, a good amount of turnovers. But ultimately, I think the Lakers with their superior talent at this moment i think the lakers get the victory and they start one to know but i overall i just think this is a great slate of games i think the nba understands that the warriors are going to be a dangerous team this season that's why they're giving them this opening night slot i think the lakers are going to be you know one of the protagonists this season obviously it's the lakers they added russell westbrook we'll see how that experiment goes the nba knows that they get that opening night a bid and bucks and nets we saw the great series they had last last uh, off season, last postseason, so I think that's a worthy uh, opponent for the Bucks. But overall, I'm just excited for the NBA season to be back. It's been a long what six, seven months since we last had, or maybe like three, four months since we last had, you know, NBA action. It's gonna be fun to have the fans back in that in the arenas. I think almost everyone's gonna have four arenas, so it's just I'm I'm just super pumped for this season. It's gonna be a great season. And I think it starts with an amazing opening night and two great matches. So make sure to watch those two matches. But with the NBA season starting, we have to give our NBA predictions for the season. Who's going to make the playoffs? Who's going to win um, the awards? Who's going to win, you know, MVP, Rookie of the Year? 
Um, so without a doubt, here is my predictions for the West. Uh, one through eight. Uh, I'll start with the number one seed, go all the way to eight. And I'll even go to 10 because there is a play in this year, just like last year. So the 10 seed will have a chance to make the playoffs. Number one, I have the Jazz. They had a great season last year. I, I still don't believe in the Jazz to to be real title contenders. They're a regular season team, and this is, you know, regular season standing. So I do think the Jazz get that number one seed. The Nuggets, I think Michael Porter Jr. takes that step into, you know, stardom. He got that contract. He has to live up to that contract. I think the Nuggets are the number two seed in the West, followed by the Lakers. Brody's in town. AD's healthy. LeBron looks good. I think they get that third seed. Mavericks, this is basically all the Luka Doncic uh, prediction. I believe in Luka. I think Luka's going to have an extraordinary year. Uh, he's going to carry the Mavs. I think they get one of the home field uh, positions. I think the Mavericks get the fourth seed. Suns, they're going to regress a little bit, but they're still making the playoffs. Fifth seed with CP3, with Devin Booker. They get the fifth seed. Warriors, I think they're going to come on strong at the end of the season. Once Clay, once Clay gets back, he's going to you know take a few games to get acclimated. And then we're going to see the, the Splash Bros get it together. Curry and Clay just sniping threes, just terrorizing defenses. I think it's going to be... It's going to be a fun end to the season for the Warriors, and they'll creep up the standings like in the latter third of the season, and they'll finish in the sixth seed. Blazers, we'll see how they do with their new head coach. I think just the fact that they have um, Damian Lillard, they're always a shoo-in for at least, you know, one of the one of the spots in the playoffs. I think they get the seventh seed. Grizzlies, John Morant, um, Jackson Jr. just got his uh, contract extension. Hopefully he stays healthy. Uh, the Grizzlies, eighth seed. Clippers without Kawhi, I think they still have enough talent to get one of these playing spots. And then I think the Timberwolves, hopefully for the Timberwolves, they get it all together. D'Angelo Russell, um, Carl Anthony Towns, Edwards, they have solid pieces to build around. So I think the Timberwolves get the 10th spot. So 1 through 10, Jazz, Nuggets, Lakers, Mavericks, Suns, Warriors, Blazers, Grizzlies, Clippers, Timberwolves. Those are my 10 top 10 seeds in the West. And in the East, I have the Bucks. With the number one spot. <clears throat> Nets number two, even without Kyrie. Bucks goes without saying, I believe in their big three. Holiday, Middleton, Giannis, their coach. They just won the title. I think they'll take that next step. Now that all the you know pressure's off them, they know that they're the champions. They're gonna play with a lot of you know liberty to lose. Bucks number one seed, Nets, Harden and KD. That's all I gotta say. If they stay healthy, even with um Steve Nash, as an unexperienced coach, I think they get the number two seed. Celtics, I expect a bounce back year from the Celtics. Uh, hopefully Brown and Tatum could stay healthy. I think Brown takes that next step and kind of evens out with Tatum again as just two young stars in the league. 76ers, this is, uh, this is almost in the same spot as Mavericks in, in the West. I just really believe in Embiid. I think if they're able to get anything for Ben Simmons and build... Uh, that kind of cater to Embiid's playing style, spread the floor, get that, get him, get a, uh, get Simmons out of that low block that he used to take up for um, the 76ers. I think Embiid has enough talent if he stays healthy to carry the 76ers into that fifth spot. The Heat, as my number six, Kyle Lowry, he's gonna help the Heat get into the playoffs. I, I really like Kyle Lowry. I like how he plays. I like his grittiness. I like how he gets. Um, defensive um he draws fouls on the defensive side so i like the heat the bulls i have them as the sixth seed uh you have vucevic you have demar derozan you have lonzo ball and you got sack levine sack levine vucevic demar derozan lonzo ball those are enough in the east to get you in the playoffs if they don't they're gonna underperform but i think the bulls are the sixth seed and they have potential to potentially even move up into the top four, top three. I, I really like what I'm seeing from the Bulls. They were super hot in the in the preseason. Hopefully they didn't, you know, use up all their energy, use up all their shots in the preseason. But I'm impressed. Even with Caruso, too, coming off the bench, they should be interesting. The Hawks, as a, as a seventh seed, uh, Trey Young is going to get them in the playoffs. Knicks, 
they they snuck into the playoffs last year or they didn't sneak they got in there but they didn't look good in the in the um, playoffs but i think julius randall still gets them in pacers number nine and hornets number 10 to round out the east those are my playoff predictions for the nba and for my awards just going to go through them real quick mvp luka Doncic. i predicted this last year but they weren't that high in the standings i think Luka Doncic, I had them fifth, but I could see them going up to like third, fourth, or even second. The West is wide open, in my opinion. Uh, there's a lot of good teams. A lot of it could it could go a lot of ways, but Luka Doncic, he's gonna put amazing numbers again, and I predict the Mavericks to make the playoffs and maybe creep up into the, one of the top three seeds. Rookie of the year, Cade Cunningham. He's gonna do his thing. He's pretty much the only bright spot on that team. Defensive Player of the Year, Bam Adebayo. Now that there's more pieces around him, hopefully everyone stays healthy. He's going to be able to just command that paint, be that defensive player, guard one through five, bam, Adebayo. Um, sixth man of the year, I think Jordan Clarkson repeats as sixth man of the year. He's instant offense off the off the bench, and I have the Jazz, you know, fighting for one of those top seeds in the West, too. So I think Jordan Clarkson is going to be the sixth man of the year back-to-back. Most improved, Jordan Poole, he's... He's looking good, man. He's he's had his moments before where he had he explodes for like 30 points. And I think this is the year where he gets it together. If, when they bring Clay back too, that's going to be three people that can score from anywhere. I think Jordan Poole wins most improved player. Coach of the year, that one's a little tough. But I think I would give it to the Bucks. I think Mike Budenholzer gets it. I think for some reason a lot of people have the Nets just as a foregone conclusion as the number one seed in the east but i think the bucks i believe in all their guys mike budenholzer is going to lead them into that number one spot mike has always really he's been good in the regular season he has garnered some criticism for the postseason he did get his first championship so maybe those criticisms will go away but he's always been a good regular season head coach so i think the bucks get the number one seed and he gets i believe it's going to be his third coach of the year so those are my awards MVP Luca, Rookie of the Year, Cunningham, Defensive Player of the Year, Adebayo, Six Men, Clarkson repeats, Most Improved Jordan Poole, and Mike Bullholzer gets the Coach of the Year. And for my finals prediction, I have the Lakers versus the Bucks. I think the Lakers with Brody, they'll figure it out. They have enough talent. The Clippers without Kawhi, they're not going to be able to stop them. I don't believe in the Jazz. We'll see how the Nuggets do. Mavericks there's gonna be a lot of good team Warriors but I have the Lakers making it to the finals in the west and in the east I have the Bucks making it back I'm super impressed by that Giannis shot in the in the preseason and hopefully it translates to the regular season and Giannis just keeps improving year in and year out he never settles that mentality that he has is just incredible and I think that team is just gonna keep gelling keep having better chemistry and hopefully now that Bullholzer Budenholzer has a chip he'll he'll start even becoming a better coach too because he's always been a good regular season head coach he's had some troubles in the postseason i think the bugs have enough pieces to go back to the finals and my prediction i have the lakers beating the bucks in seven in the finals so that's it those are my predictions lakers in seven against the bucks jazz nuggets lakers mavericks suns warriors blazers grizzlies from the west Bucks, Nets, Celtics, 76ers, Heat, Bulls, Hawks, and Knicks in the East. And the two playing from both sides, Clippers, Timberwolves, and Pacers, Hornets. That should do it. Let me know what you guys think. I know everyone has different predictions, but that's what makes it fun. I'm not trying to be, you know, a psychic and just get, I don't think I'm going to get everything right. I, I think it's just fun to, you know, see where everyone is thinking before the season. Everyone has different perspectives. Obviously, everyone has their, their favorite team that they're going to, you know, root for one way or another maybe sway the decision be a little biased so these are my predictions let me know what you guys think the one team that i am really looking forward to to have a breakout season this nba season it's the chicago bulls i think this is their year this is the year they go back to the playoffs and they could be scary i have them as the sixth seed in the east in my preseason prediction um playoff rankings but i think they have the potential to legitimately be the team behind the the nets and the and the bucks i think they could be as high as number three i have them number six but i i could see them creeping up lonzo ball demar Derozan, vucevic zach levine 
Caruso. They have some nice pieces. Lonzo Ball, man, if you have not seen, he is the epitome of a player that came comes into the league with a broken shot. It looks like he has no hope. How is he going to fix this muscle memory? He shot this way for thousands and thousands of times. He's played ball since he was like six. How are you going to fix his shot? And now, what is he? Long, year five, I believe. He has a crispy shot. The, the follow-through looks nice. The technique looks nice. The ball is going inside the net. Lonzo Ball, I think he has a breakout year. He could even potentially be an all-star. But point guard position is super hard, so possibly not. But Lonzo Ball, I think he's a breakout candidate player. His shot looks amazing. He's always been a legit, legit passer. Having DeMar DeRozan, who could still get up and dunk. Zach Levine, who's probably the best dunker in the league. Caruso, who, who the Caruso, who could make some highlight dunks too. I think it's going to be fun. The Bulls are going to be exciting, man. Lonzo Ball is going to be the glue that gets everything together. DeMar DeRozan, he's still a savvy veteran. He still gives you 20 points per game. You know, the mid-range king, he's, he's one of the best mid-range players. He got his assist up last year. He's a willing passer. I think he's going to be a good complimentary piece. Lonzo's going to make everything gel together. Vucevic, he can stretch the floor. He's a natural scorer. He's going to be able to stretch the ball, stretch the the court at that five position. And that's needed with DeMar DeRozan not being a three-point shooter, not really taking any shots from the three-point line. Zach Levine, elite scorer, all-star. He's must-watched TV. Zach Levine is just electric. That's the one word you could use to describe Zach Levine. He's just electric. He's must-watched TV. He'll dunk all over you. He'll shoot from anywhere. He's he's clutch. He's he's just an amazing player. The league is in great hands when Zach Levine hasn't really made too many All-Stars. I think he makes another All-Star, and he leads the Bulls into the playoffs. They have Caruso, who's going to bring a lot of energy off the bench. They have other young pieces that I think are going to be crucial, and they're going to you know really contribute. And Billy Donovan. We'll see what Billy Donovan's made of, because when he was with the with the OKC Thunder, a lot of his criticism was that he just kind of let uh, Westbrook and KD do their thing. He didn't really run, run an offense. He didn't really, you know, set up schemes, set up plays. It was just give them the ball and let them do their thing as stars, which is fine when you have two of the, like, top 10 players, two of the top five players in the league. It's fine. But, you know, that was one of the criticism of Billy Donovan when he was with OKC. You kind of wanted to see him put his footprint on the game plan, on the game a little bit more. So I do think Billy Donovan is going to have to be a good head coach, be uh, you know, be able to call the right plays, break down their minutes in, in the correct um, you know, form. So I'm I'm curious to see how Billy Donovan steps up to the plate this year. But talent-wise, I think the Bulls have everything they need to be a contender in the East. Not 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 a finals contender, but a playoff contender for sure. And if they find some chemistry, if Lonzo Ball is able to be that elite point guard. I think they have Eastern Conference final potential. I don't like I said I don't think they're championship contenders, but they could definitely I could definitely see if they catch fire they make, you know, the semifinals or the finals in the Eastern Conference. But that's my team to look out for. I think I know a lot of people are hyped about them. They look good in the preseason. I don't think I'm going out on a limb or anything, but I do think the Bulls could be nasty this year and it'll be great for the league to have the Bulls back in the you know upper echelon of the league but transitioning over to the premier league Ole Gunnar needs to be um, fired he does not deserve to be the coach of Manchester United a storied franchise a storied team with a lot of history that have suffered since Sir Alex retired Um, the the easiest way I could break this down other than the eye test and um, everyone kind of could see that he's not fit to be the head coach of Manchester United is opposition fans want him to stay. I asked Liverpool fans, I asked my friend Matt, who's been on the show as a Liverpool fan, and he's ecstatic that Manchester United keeps saying that they're going to back Oli. And I asked, you know, my Chelsea fans, and I asked um, even myself as a Wolves fan, I'm like, hey, we might even be able to compete for Europa with these guys or something. I don't know. I just asked fans from around the league, Liverpool fans, um, I wish I could say City fans, but I don't know any City fans. Uh, Chelsea fans. I even know Arsenal fans. I even I even know a few Tottenham fans. And they all say, hey, keep him in there, man. It's better for us, for them to have Ole Gunner. It's kind of like they have... United's kind of like a sleeping giant. I think they have a lot of potential. They have all the pieces. They, 
They put money into the team. They should be one of these teams where you're just like, well, I'm scared to play them. But they're not. And I think the main reason is because Ole is just not fit for them. The roster is ready to win, and he just can't implement tactics. He looks like he's a caretaker manager. He's just there to you know, keep people happy, say the right things to the media, be you know the face of the team. He's, he's had some moments with the team as a player. So he has cachet with the fans. He has cachet with the team. It's all good, you know, like ex-player turned coach. You know, that story is everyone loves that little story. Player that did good with the team is now the coach. But it doesn't always work out. And not everyone could be Sudan. Most of the time, they're like Lampard. And this is almost the exact same replica as Chelsea. Team wasn't doing too good. How are we going to save face? Let's give an ex-player the coaching job. And you quickly realize that he's over his head. He doesn't know what he's doing. This job came too quick for him. It's too early. You know, not not saying that he can't be a head coach, a good head coach down the line. But at this moment, it just came too fast, too quick for them. They, they don't know what they're doing at this level. And it's just not enough. And to have a team with Ronaldo, Cavani, Rashford, Greenwood, um, Bruno Fernandes, Pogba, De Gea, Varane, Maguire. We have all these big name players and you're creeping down the table and you're looking at these fixtures that are coming up and you're like, how are they going to get out of it? And I don't think they will. I think uh, they're going to struggle these next few matches. They have Liverpool, they have City, they have Atalanta twice in Champions League. I think they're going to struggle and it's because Ole has no leadership. He has He can't steer the ship. He's fine when they're doing good, but he can't steer the ship once it's going bad. He has I don't think he has a he has shown the leadership that it is required to be a manager at one of these top top teams. And when asked after the loss to Leicester, like to give his comments on the game, one of his comments was that, you know, they're not they're not they weren't winning the 50-50 balls. They weren't uh getting the second chance balls and it was just like, "Come on, man." Like that's something that my that my rec league coach told me when I was 11. Like, that's, that's, cause, you know, we don't know any better. We, we can't really say, oh, you know, we gotta attack the flanks. We gotta do all this stuff. It's 50 50 balls. Try harder. Go put your foot strong. Like, what kind of tactics is that? I, I just have lost hope for Ollie. And when they win, even if United find a way to, you know, tough out some victories or, you know, go through this rough stretch of games. This, this tough schedule, this tough part of the schedule, even if they somehow end up winning a lot of these games, I'll say it's because of the talent of the team, not because of the head coach. I've seen enough, in my opinion, the bird is out of the cage. We know that Oli is not fit for this, and it's only a matter of time. And hopefully for United fans, because I've seen them all over YouTube, people making their own fan videos, wanting him out. They're all over Twitter. They're all over everywhere. Reddit, they're everywhere. Facebook. United fans have, you know, United fans are pretty much fed up. I'm not a United fan. I'm just a Premier League fan. I'm a podcaster. I'm a Wolves fan. And I I kind of want to see this United team at full strength. I think it'll be good for the league. Because um, right now it, lo- it looks like it's going to come down between City, Liverpool, and Chelsea, which is fine. It'll still be entertaining. But to add another, another team into that contention, like a legit team, not just a, a roster, not just on paper, to have another team really compete with these other three teams that have looked solid so far, I think it would be great TV. And that's, you know, I'm all for that. So I think this team does have potential, but it's just not going to get fulfilled with Ole Gunner. The Wolves come back from 2-0 down and beat Aston Villa 3-2. What a comeback. It was ridiculous. At the same time as the United game, both matches were just ridiculous. What a morning. What a Saturday morning here in the States. Um, Wolves had not looked good the whole game. They looked, you know, they looked like they had no idea. They couldn't really threaten Martinez. They weren't really getting anything going other than Adama, and Adama can't finish, uh, unfortunately. But Adama was, you know, the one threat, the one constant threat, and he couldn't really get that last part of his finishing or his passing down. But Wolves weren't creating too many chances, and just like that, three goals in 15 minutes. All of set pieces, just ridiculous, crazy stuff. 
epic, epic, epic. This is what you dream for as a fan, as you know, as a fan of the team, as a fan of the sport, as a fan of just sports in general. Like even if I wasn't a soccer fan, a football fan, and I would see something like this, it would just resonate with me. It was incredible. And now the Wolves are up to 10th. They're up to 10th after a terrible start, after the first four games looked like we might be, the Wolves might be, you know, fighting for their for their survival, fighting for their chance to stay in the Premier League. Wolves are up to 10th, three wins in a row, Leeds United next, and Leeds have been just atrocious this season. I, I believe they're fourth to last, their fourth bottom in the table, um, which will put them at 17th. But... Wolves can't get comfortable because Leicester, Arsenal, and Newcastle are behind them. And you would think that Leicester and Arsenal are a lock for going up. Like, those teams are not going to go down. They're not going to let them go down. Leicester looks like they they just turned it around. Arsenal, well, they're Arsenal, obviously. Newcastle, they just got new money in. So you'll, you'll think that in January they're going to put a lot of money in there so that they won't survive. So, you know, we can't get complacent. It's, it's, it's great. Like... I've had some couple days to think about this victory. It's amazing. It's great uh, on a derby too. To come back from down two two nil and win is just ridiculous. It's amazing. It's one of the moments of the year. But the Wolves didn't look too dangerous, and obviously you got to take that with the grain of salt because Roy Jimenez didn't really play. He came on late. He didn't really play. He was they were resting him because. Uh, he had just had international duty with Mexico, so you got to take it with the grain of salt. But even if Rolo isn't playing, the team has to look better than they did. They have to create more chances. They have to defend better. Um, you can't always come down from 3-2. You just can't. I mean, from down 2-0, 2-0. So I think, obviously, points matter. But the way you win points matters, too. Because at some point, if you're getting points the ugly way, it's not sustainable. You got to eventually be able to play quality football and create enough chances create enough goal scoring opportunities and i think the wolves are still they have some games where they're really pushing the tempo they're really creating chances and then have other games where they look kind of lost they look like they can't really get anything going they can't find a way to break down the other team's defense so i don't want to be pessimistic i want to be optimistic i'm super ecstatic that after the terrible start wolves are in 10th place they look like they have turned the corner um bruno lodge hopefully he'll be the coach to lead us back into a european spot all i'm saying is to not be complacent not let this get to our heads look look at this game you know for what it was it was a game that aston villa dominated for a lot of the a lot of the match and wolves dug deep and found a way to win off a lot of set pieces off a lucky deflection they found a way to win you know applaud yourselves for not giving up it could, you could have easily, you know, thrown in the towel, said, you know, this is not our day. Let's, you know, let's go home. Let's recoup. Credit for the team for not giving up, for fighting for every ball, you know, getting those set pieces. And be happy with the result that you got. Don't let it get to your head. If, if it got to your head on Saturday, even Sunday, it was electric. It was epic. It's something that we probably won't see again too many times in our lifetimes to score three goals in 15 minutes stoppage time winner off a deflection crazy crazy stuff but just don't let it get to your head fix your mistakes fix that defense try to create more going forward and be a a dynamic team and and then we could talk about you know pushing that top half of the table but overall after four after the first four weeks where it looked super bleak I would take this any day of the week, any any season like this. This is a complete turnaround. I'm excited for the Wolves. Three wins in a row. I'm just saying don't get complacent and really analyze this game for what it was. We were outplayed for the first 80 minutes, and we found a way to turn it around. And props to you guys for turning around, but let's fix our mistakes. That's all I'm saying. NFL Week 6 is in the books. And it concluded with the Bills versus Titans and what was an incredible game. Derrick Henry is a monster. He's incredible. He's ridiculous. He's an all-time great. He he just baffles me. The things he could do at that size. Um, one of the stats that came out was that on the run that he broke in the first half, he was that's the fastest any running back's been clocked for the whole season. 
Derrick Henry, 6'2", 240, 250, whatever he, I think he might even be 6'3", was the fastest clocked running back this season. For him to be that powerful, to be a freight train, to be an unstoppable force and reach the highest speed of any running back in the in the league so far this season, that's that's ridiculous. That's that's asinine. That's that blows my mind that that man can move that quick at that at that size. But another set that was funny to me was Tannehill getting credited with the comeback win. Uh, obviously, Tannehill, quality quarterback, decent. I like I like how he turned around his career with the Titans. And quarterback is the most difficult position in the league. So, obviously, he was going to get paid, and he got paid handsomely, and he's making $29 million per year compared to Derrick Henry, who's, I believe, making somewhere in the 10s. I believe maybe like 15. So, he's making almost twice as much as Derrick Henry, if not twice. But it's just funny how... I mean, I don't, I don't mean to be too harsh on Tannehill, but it's just funny how these stats are always catered to these running backs because Tannehill um, got credited with the comeback win against the Bills this yesterday on Monday, and that makes that makes it the ninth comeback win since he became the starter for the Titans in that 2019 season, and that's the most for any QB. And you're like, okay, that's that's great, good job for Tannehill, like. Uh, impressive stuff like obviously if you're a quarterback that's just that you want to be towards the top comeback wins shows that you're a good quarterback shows that you know the team could rely on you to bring them back but you never really hear elite running backs get that credit too like oh Derrick Henry leading his team or wide receivers or anybody else and I get it the quarterback is the only player that touches the ball every play so it makes sense or maybe almost every play, because nowadays people do some weird stuff or interesting stuff, exotic stuff to, you know, hike it with the running back or wide receiver, stuff like that. But for the most part, a quarterback touches the ball every every time the offense is on the field. So it makes sense that they get the credit. But if we were to really look at the Titans team, I mean, we, we don't even have to look that deep. It's it's obvious that these comebacks are a result of Darren Carey being an alien, being out of this planet, being the best running back in the league and not really Tannehill doing a lot of, you know, heavy lifting. Nothing. I don't want to take anything away. Tannehill. He did make throws. He did convert third downs. He did find AJ Brown a lot in the second half. Julio Jones went down as is customary now in this latter stage of his career. So I, I don't mean to, you know, take that stat away from Tannehill. Nine comeback wins since he became the starter in 2019. Most by any QB in that time. Great for him, but the main reason is Derrick Henry. And it's obvious, it's easy to say that Derrick Henry is what makes that offense go around. If for some reason, knock on wood, Derrick Henry was to go down, that team would plummet. Um, they would not be the same. Derrick Henry is a monster. He should be top two in the MVP. Maybe even the MVP leader because the, the Titans look terrible to start the season. They lost to the Cardinals. They lost to the Jets. And now they're 4-2. and two. They just beat the Bills. Who everyone after last Sunday was uh, claiming to be the best team in the NFL after beating the Chiefs, and now they're tied on records. The Titans are four and two, and it's because of Derrick Henry, and he's on a tear. And I believe he's he's already on the tens. He might have like eleven or twelve touchdowns for the season. So Ladainian Solinson's uh, single season record for touchdowns that's definitely in grasp. Um, the yards is also in touch, especially now with an extra game. So Derrick Henry might just have the best season ever by running back, even without the extra game. We'll see how he he's doing after week 17. But Derrick Henry, he's just incredible. He's a monster. When he gets going, it's almost impossible to stop him. Even if you're a defensive tackle, he get he gets a little a little steam going. And even if you're a defensive tackle, it's hard to tackle him. As as was evident, I believe, in the second touchdown that he had. But Derrick Henry, just incredible. The Titans look like they're starting to get it together. A.J. Brown had the best game of his season so far. Hopefully he could get healthy. We'll see if they ever get a healthy Julio Jones and how much he's able to contribute. But the Bills, you know, I think they overlooked the Titans. They were still a little high off their win against the Chiefs. Their defense looked a little exposed. Uh, but not every team has Derrick Henry, so I'm not too worried about the Bills' defense. Uh for the call, the Bills went for it on fourth down, fourth and less than one yard. 
I like I like how they went for it. I think that was the correct decision. You go out there and you get the win when it's fourth and inches and you're right there. I like the call. I would have gone for it too. I was telling them to go for it uh, when the play, as it happened. I just didn't like the play. I didn't like how Josh Allen was on shotgun and then he, you know, pretended to do some signals and then he hiked the ball and he lost the footing. I think they should have ran uh, Josh Allen run from shotgun like a design run i think he always gets positive yards when he does that and i think they would have gotten the first down but i like the call i can't blame the coach for going for it it's, it's what i would have done um it didn't it didn't work out but it is what it is uh, it was a good game as almost every single um a prime time game has been this season so shout out for the nfl for putting the correct games in the correct uh, spots because all these primetime games have been amazing. So whoever's making that schedule, props to you. You deserve a race. Bills lose to the Titans. Derek Henry's a monster. And I would have gone for it on fourth down myself. Chargers versus Ravens. I hyped it up. I'm not going to lie. I thought this was going to be potentially the game of the year. One of the, Especially the first half of the season. Ravens who were on fire. Chargers who were on fire. Lamar Jackson versus Justin Herbert. I, I even advocated for the NFL flexing games before week 11 so that we could see Ravens versus Chargers in primetime. <clears throat> and thankfully, I'm not the guy making the rules. I'm not the guy setting the schedule because if they would have done that, we would have had a terrible Sunday night football game. The Ravens thoroughly trashed the Chargers, imposed themselves a good old-fashioned Ravens victory. They ran for 187 yards. They only threw for Lamar Jackson only had 167 yards through the air. He had two interceptions, but the defense was great. The running game was amazing, and it was just an old-fashioned Ravens beatdown. They're five and one now. They could easily be six and zero. They would have beaten the Raiders and the Chargers. They head into their bye week four and two. They had a really tough schedule. They got to regroup. They got to fix some stuff. They got to protect Herbert. Herbert, you know, got to play a little better too. That defense got to play better. But I just want to talk about the Ravens. What a beatdown. Just completely dominated the game since the beginning. You kind of knew where this was going. Um, obviously, Staley has gotten a lot of praise for going for it on fourth down because it's working. It's been working to start the season. It didn't really work out against the Ravens. Two, he went for it, I think, I believe twice on their own half, on in their in their own side of the football field. And they couldn't get it. They get, Thankfully, the defense held and they only gave up six points off of those failed fourth downs but the Ravens were just thoroughly the best team they were the better team um and that was kind of a message to the rest of the league because the Chargers were getting everyone's attention they were getting after beating the Chiefs beating the Raiders and beating the Browns almost beating the Cowboys er they were the talk of the town everyone was talking about the Chargers even myself I was getting excited the Chargers looked amazing they look great that comeback victory against the browns uh in la last week they look like they were you know getting into form people are talking about the, are they the, the second best team in the afc behind the bills and now the bills lose to the titans the chargers get trashed by the ravens and the ravens are the best team in the nfl right now they could beat you multitude of ways last week it was lamar jackson throwing having the best throwing game of his career bringing them back against the Colts. And then this week, it was just an old-fashioned Baltimore Ravens victory. Great defense. Más o menos, you know, passing offense and just an elite running offense. And that's the Baltimore Ravens. They're versatile. They could beat you in a lot of ways. And they have officially put the league on notice that they are the best team in the league. And right now, the AFC goes through Baltimore. And that's a scary thing because Baltimore have a lot of great fans that are going to be super loud. It's going to get cold over there. For the playoffs so watch out for the baltimore ravens they put the league on notice they put the chargers on notice they put everyone in the afc on notice and if you're watching from the nfc side you're like okay we better be ready for baltimore because it doesn't matter if their first running back rb1 goes out rb2 goes out rb3 goes out cornerback one goes out it doesn't matter it doesn't they don't have a wide receiver that signed with them and a lot of wide receivers passed up on them it doesn't matter. Juju passed on them. I believe T.Y. Hilton passed on them. A lot of players, Galladay passed on them. It doesn't matter when Lamar Jackson is could go for 
400 yards passing or he could go for 100 yards running or that defense could stuff you. One of the best offenses, one of the best young quarterbacks to just stuff you. The Ravens are scary, man. And if you haven't been paying attention, it's time to pay attention. These Ravens are legit. And the AFC right now, it looks like it's going through Baltimore. So you better pack some jackets and get warm because it's going to be a fight. And to wrap up this podcast, let's talk some tennis. Cameron Norrie wins his first Masters 1000. He defeats Basilashvili in the Indian Wells Finals. And Cameron Norrie is just Mr. Consistent, super consistent, doesn't make errors. I was able to see him in the San Diego Open. And he lost the final to Casper Ruud, another super consistent player. And he's able to get his first Masters 1000 victory. So shout out to Cameron Norrie. He's now, I believe, number 17, number 16 in the men's rankings. And he's number 10 in the FedEx ATP race to turn. He's only 160 points behind Herkes. So I would not be surprised if my boy Cameron Norrie makes it to the ATP finals, which would be amazing. An incredible year for Cameron Norrie. Just one of the most consistent players on tour. Gets his first Masters 1000. And he was down in the first set against Basilashvili. Uh, if you look, if you were to just look at the highlights, um, like on YouTube or something, most of the highlights are from Basilashvili. Uh, he has a powerful forehand, and he's a, you know he's a very entertaining player. And if he was able to keep the consistency that he showed on the first set, he could potentially be a top ten player because he looked amazing that first set. That forehand was hitting. He he couldn't really make too many mistakes. It, he was just on fire. But, you know, not everyone could keep that consistency. If he could, could keep that consistency, he like I said, he would be a top five, top ten player. Unfortunately, he's not there yet. 50 ground strokes errors, 22 unforced errors just in the last set. And I think uh, he had a great tournament too. Nothing. Don't want to take anything away from him. Uh, Nicolas, the first player from Georgia to reach the final of Masters 1000. So shout out to Nicolas. Great tournament. He put on a, a super entertaining tournament. Even the final, he had some great shots um, that you were just like, wow, this guy, this guy is nice. But like a lot of players that play Cameron Nori, he just forces, he just keeps the, he just keeps the ball coming back to you. And it's a great quote. I have this great quote from my friend Jason, who used to play tennis um, back in high school for, for my high school. And I was having a conversation with him talking about how, like, hey, how are the coaches um, at our high school? And he was like, well, they're not the best. They kind of basically just told us to just <laughs> just get the ball over the net. They didn't really teach us any form or any techniques or, you know, they weren't the best coaches, basically. But the one rule that they always said was just to get the ball over the net. You can't lose if you keep getting the ball over the net. And Cameron Nori is like the epitome of that saying. Just keep getting the ball over the net. And Cameron Nori does that better than a lot of people in the, in the ATP tour. He is just consistent. He's He gets to a lot of balls. Uh, he's always going to get it over the net. And he doesn't, he doesn't make too many errors. And for a player that goes for a lot of winners, like Nicolas, it just... It just, you know, it, he felt the weight of the pressure. I feel like you play a player like that and you just think like, man, like this is a long rally, man. Like I thought I should have had a winner already. And Cameron just keeps returning it. And that pressure, that pressure can get to you. And it was evident in the third set, 22 unforced errors for Vasilashvili. But I think he has potential, Vasilashvili. Uh, he's already 29 so and he's getting a little up there in age but I, I don't think this will be the last time we see him going towards you know the latter stages in their masters 1000 and for Cameron Norrie what an incredible year uh he's now the number one ranked British player so shout out to him he's 160 points from getting to the ATP finals Nadal already went out so uh if you're the number nine in that ranking you you get you get to go Right now, it's Herkes, but we'll see how they finish out. It's going to be an exciting finish. Shout out to Cameron Nori, the number 16th player in the world now. And shout out to the San Diego Open for getting these people ready because um, Cameron Nori, 
um, Grigor Dimitrov, uh, Rude, Schwartzman, all of those guys were at the San Diego Open, and they had really good tournaments. So I think it's a great warm-up tournament for the Indian Wells, and hopefully the San Diego Open is able to stay in San Diego. I just had to say that real quick as a San Diego native. Keep the San Diego Open in San Diego. Andy Murray and Francis Tiafo just concluded their match at the European Open, a first-round match. And was this the match of the years? Three hours and 45 minutes in a three-set thriller. All three sets went to a tiebreak. 7-6, 6-7, 7-6. Andy Murray wins this first-round match against Francis Tiafo. Tiebreak on all three sets is just ridiculous. Incredible tennis by both people. And the Andy Murray comeback train just keeps on going. Andy Murray, I predicted, is going to be a top 20 player in 2022. And this gives me a lot of hope to be able to go the distance against Francis Tiafo, you know, one of the fittest players on tour, and just put on a show for people that were watching the European Open on TV and in person. It was just an exciting, exciting, exhilarating electric match. Shout out to Francis Tiafo. He's one of my favorite players. He's a showman. He's fun. He, he he reacts to a lot of shots. I like that. I like I don't really like players that are robotic, that don't show emotion. I, I get it that in tennis, that's a lot of people. You're supposed to be, you know, professional or whatever professional means. You're supposed to be, you know, suit and tie almost with every point. You can't really celebrate too much because whatever. I like Francis Yaffo being a little silly, doing dances, celebrating with the fans, staring at them, all that stuff that he does. That's caused me to be a fan of Francis Tiafo. So I like how he showed respect to Murray, went over to the other side of the net, gave him a hug. You know, they exchanged some words because they put up one of the best matches of the year, probably the best 250 match this year. Um, and it's up there for any other, like even just overall match of the year. And it's crazy because it's, it's the first round of a 250 uh, tournament. So you wouldn't expect this, but Murray has a wild card. Tiafo, you know, his rankings has been slipping. So it was just incredible, incredible. That third set tie break was the perfect culmination to the match. Each player fighting off match points with aces, with their serves. Um, each player fighting off match points. Just coming back. Okay, Murray has match point. Boom, boom. Tiafo hits two aces. All right, Tiafo at match point. Murray comes back. Another another ace, another beautiful serve. It was just exciting. It was exhilarating. It was oh my god, catching catching that game was amazing. I don't know if we're gonna see another match like that in the European Open, but I just wanted to give them their flowers. Congratulations to both players. And uh, like I said, Tiafo is one of my favorite players. I like that he's a showman, but he needs to get his rankings up, man. I think he has he has quality tennis in him, as evident. He he upset. Rublev at the U.S. Open. I think he has, you know, he's one of the most talented U.S. players on tour, in my opinion. He's just not there yet consistently. He's not there mentally. He's a good showman. He's good for TV. But I want Tiafoe to start doing a little better. He needs to get his rankings up. But today was just Andy Murray's day. And it, like I said, it gives me it gives me hope for Andy Murray. Like matches like this where he goes three hours and 45 minutes, three, three tiebreakers against... Tiafo, who on his day is a really challenging opponent. Man, Andy Murray come back, train, hop on it because it's coming. It's coming. I'm telling you. Top 20 player in 2022. His rankings just plummeted. His uh Murray's rankings just plummeted because uh he lost points from the Indian Indian Wells tournament. So he's, he he kind of slipped a little bit further, but I still believe that he could get his ranking up. Andy Murray's gonna be a top 20 player in 2022. I've said it before, I've said it now. What a match. Andy Murray versus Francis Tiafo. If you ha if you didn't get a chance to catch it, make sure to look up the highlights on YouTube or somewhere else because this match was incredible. Three tie breaks, tie break in every set, and just incredible stuff. Amazing, amazing stuff. Shout out to Tiafo. Shout out to Andy Murray for just providing us electric, entertaining tennis. It's amazing. I love tennis. Uh, I can't wait to see the rest of the European Open. I can't wait to see Andy Murray Climb up the rankings because I believe he will. And hopefully for Francis Tiafo, he gets it together because I, I have a lot of hope for this guy. I think he could move up rankings too. So just thankful for both of them for putting up a, a ridiculous, entertaining match. And that should do it for this episode of the Hard to Handle Sports Podcast. If you listened all the way to the end, hour 30 minutes or however long it was, hour and one minute. Thank you so much for staying to the end. 
Have a great rest of your day. Make sure to watch some NBA basketball. It is back.